<laughs> this is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and you can also subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. And if you want to help support the podcast, please go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, or you can simply leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It helps us out a ton and helps people discover the podcast more with more listeners. It gives us more more listener reviews, give us uh, higher ratings in the search results. And um, obviously, uh, movie and TV podcasts are very much a uh, competitive category. So if you like what you hear, please go to iTunes and leave a review. It will help us out a ton. So Tiny, how's it going? Really, really well. Nice. That's good to hear. A little sunburned. Right, right. Memorial Day weekend has yes. came and gone. Yeah. Hundred throwing the Indy five hundred got right, roasted, right. but mm-hmm. it was awesome. I was recording anthology all day. <laughs> nice. um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so before we get started on this today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing X Men Apocalypse, and we're going to do our normal uh, potpourri section and a little bit of news and everything. But before we get to all of that, we have a little bit of housekeeping and some feedback to go over. So uh, the only real piece of housekeeping we have is that here in a few weeks. June 17th to the 19th, we're, we're going to be at Indie PopCon. Yes, we are. Yes, at the Indiana Convention Center. It's going to be our third time doing the convention, third time the convention has happened, and uh, we're really excited about it. And if you're going to be there, then please come to the podcaster stage on Saturday, June 18th at 3 p.m. That's when we have our time to be on stage and uh, talk to everyone. Unfortunately, I'm not going to make it on the 17th. Um, that Friday because I just started a new job and I think it would be pretty bad if I just skipped out on one day of training um, on the 17th. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be there, but I will be there Saturday and Sunday for sure. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Tiny, are you excited about having to stand at the booth by yourself on Friday? Oh, totally. Yeah, <laughs> I'm totally a loner. Good at that. Not. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. Nice. I should also have... Um, I'm hoping that we'll get some more stickers and everything, but mm-hmm. we're going to have candy and we're going to have um, hopefully some flyers made up by then. I completely forgot about that until this moment, yeah. but I'm going to have I'm going to have my own uh, set of anthology business cards, so I'm Sweet. excited for that. You and, can't not have fun at PopCon. Oh, oh yeah. So totally. I yeah I'm cool with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So more information for that is at IndiePopCon.com, and we really hope that you guys come by our booth. Our booth number is going to be 448, and seriously, it's like one of our one of my favorite moments from last year's PopCon was when our listen, or one of our listeners, uh, Andy, came up and introduced himself to us, and like that was just that was awesome because I love that we actually meet people that we talk talk to. I get, we're, I mean, you know, that hear us talk. Right, right. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So that was awesome. Um, so Andy, if you're listening, I fully expect you to come up to PopCon. <laughs> and record with us this time. I mean, th- oh, I think yeah. we've asked him a couple times. I think so, because he I, came to Shocktober also. Yeah, he's just a little shy. Yeah, yeah that's Nothing fine. wrong with that. Right. Um, so, okay, so 
after that announcement, we also have some feedback on last week's episode. Um, our longtime listener Yasmin uh, tweeted about tweeted me about OV one sixty nine, which we talked about uh, abandoned TV shows that we the TV shows that we abandoned, um, and she said that she has been thinking about abandoning the West Wing for a while because she can't get past season four; it's just too slow. And Tiny, having watched all of the West Wing, what words would you have for Yasmin? <laughs> Uh, I can totally. I understand what she's what she's getting at. That was a darker time for the show, not as well written. Mm-hmm. Um, but hang tight because the last couple seasons really are some of the best of the whole series. Nice. Stick with it. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I stopped right after season three, and I just yeah. I think I was on the premiere of season four, and I just I just fell out fell out of it. Yeah, so. it's understandable. Yeah. Um, okay, so then in the, the last piece of housekeeping is that last week on the podcast, uh, we picked out of the bag for me to watch a movie um, out of the bag. Um, it was selected for me to watch The Normal Heart. And how was that, Matt? Uh, so I've been so busy. Mark Ruffalo is great, right? It's, he's in it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know because I didn't see it. Um, no, I apologize. I know that you know we announced it last week that we would talk about that. I would talk about it for potpourri this week. I just I, I misjudged how much time I have because I uh-huh. yeah I started a new job this week and like everything about that has been realizing that I no longer have a job where I can do anything I want during during the entire shift. <laughs> so I'm in an actual real job now, and I I can't like. Like I, I spent the last two hours after I got home from work, before this recording, making the notes for this recording. <laughs> so yeah, so I'll get to it eventually. I apologize that and um, the good, the bad, and the ugly it just popped back up on Hulu and Amazon Prime. So I'll try to find time to watch both of those and report back. But cool. Yeah. So suffice it to say, I don't think we're going to be picking out of the bag that much anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, that's understandable. For the time why. being, but we'll get back to that eventually. And. Um, also, Mike uh, Mike was supposed to join us this week, but uh, unfortunately, he has real life things to to attend to. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So he said that he'll hopefully be back um, for another two episodes before going back on hiatus um, from the podcast here in the coming weeks. Um, because I mean, his his son is due in a month, so. I can't fault him at all. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to finish the yearbook right now. Yeah. And he's got school. Right. So. Yep. So, all right. So, anyway, having said all of that, um, we have a few pieces of news that we want to get through before we get to our X-Men Apocalypse review. Um, we're already kind of running long with these op- these opening sections, so I'm just going to just kind of rapid fire go through all of these real quick. Uh, the first piece of news is that the Logan's Run remake, which has long been in development hell um, for several years, several different um, names have been attached to it. I think the the closest one, the closest it came to being made was um, Nicholas Winding Refn was attached to it with Ryan Gosling. Yep. But that fell apart when when they dropped out. But anyway, so the news this week is that um, Logan's Run remake it. it they have a they have a screenwriter for it. Um, it's the I'll just read from Slash Film that Ryan Condal, the co-creator and showrunner of Colony, which I think is on USA, mm-hmm. um, is writing the new script based the new script based on Simon Kinberg's treatment. Uh, Condal and 
Kinberg's approach to Logan's Run is inspired is inspired more by William F. Nolan's 1967 novel more so than director Michael Anderson's 1976 adaptation. And the essence of the story is the same, set in an ageist society there where citizens are executed by the time they reach a certain age. In the book, they're killed at 21. In the original film, Death Comes at the Age of 30. So, uh, Tiny, do you have any thoughts on this? Have you seen the original Logan's Run? Uh, I have not. I, I don't, don't know a whole lot about it, but I know that this remake should have come out like twice by now. Yeah. It's yeah. been a long time coming. Nice. Yeah, I agree. Um, I recently watched it for an episode of Anthology, which, shameless plug, is my solo side project podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, starting with The Twilight Zone. Um, In episode eight of Anthology, I covered, um, as a supplemental review for the episode, I covered Logan's Run, the 1976 movie. Um, I thought it was okay. Um, If you want to hear my more in-depth thoughts, check that out at anthologypod.com. And on iTunes and all that. Um, but I think that this movie is ripe for a remake. It uh, definitely has a, has a very distinct 70s, uh, 70s dystopian future kind of aesthetic to it. And I think that if they adapted it into a more modern film, I think it could translate well without tarnishing the original. Um, maybe. Who knows? Gotcha. So the next the next piece of news is that um, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is going to be going into reshoots. Uh, reading again from Slash Film, uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is undergoing is undergoing four weeks of reshoots in June with director Gareth Edwards and most of the cast because after the first screening, which was for Disney executives. By the way, I'm not reading this exactly. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here and there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Most of the cast, because after the first screening, which was for Disney executives, uh, they thought that the film was, quote, tonally off with what a classic Star Wars movie should feel like. Reportedly, the tone of the Star Wars movie was more that of a traditional war drama, and the reshoots will attempt to, quote, lighten the mood, bring some levity into the story, and restore a sense of fun to the adventure. That's that's it for that. What do you make of this, Tiny? And does it uh, does it affect your eagerness for the movie? Uh, actually, yeah, it does. I I don't think it's a good thing. I'm al- I'm always weary of when a group of producers get together and say this needs to change, especially uh, in post like this. Like the mm-hmm. the movie's already shot and at least roughly edited together. It just I, I think I think they need to be more respectful of a director and a filmmaker's vision and i think when you try to change something like the tone it can just have such a negative effect on the overall feel of the movie and you know that's coming from a a novice perspective but Mm -hmm. that that's just the feel i get with this is you know producers need to kind of executives need to kind of keep their hands off of the creative side um not saying it always is a negative thing but uh I don't know. I just, it doesn't inspire confidence. I, I agree. And it's a shame to say that, but I, I agree to an extent. I should say, I think that when you have a property that has this much, this much writing on it, I mean, this is technically, this is the first star Wars prequel since, you know, the abominations that were the star Wars. Prequels. Right. <laughs> so I think that maybe there's a little bit of uh hesitance with this particular one, but I I don't know. I think that it's 
Disney's fronting, Disney's footing the bill, so I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, still have not seen the trailer for it, so I got nothing. <laughs> so finally, for our last piece of news, and this will be really brief, and it'll segue somewhat cleanly into our main topic. Um, Brian Singer and Sam Mendes are both taking a break from X-Men and the Bond franchise, respectively. Um, I'll talk about Mendes first. Uh, he basically was quoted... Um, during an appearance at the Hay Festival. I don't know what that is, but um, his quote is that uh, directing directing Bond, is it 25? Uh, 25, yeah. Yeah, Spectre. Um, he said, quote, It was an incredible adventure. I loved every second of it, but I think it's time for somebody else. Um, and he went on to say that he hopes the next director comes from, quote, an unexpected direction. And... Uh, he, he also said that, uh, the Bond series, while the Bond series moves forward without him, Mendez wants to work on something else altogether saying I'm a storyteller. And at the end of the day, I want to make stories with new characters. I can respect that. Oh, me too. Yeah. And, uh, there's a rumor that Suzanne beer bear. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Me either. Yeah. She might direct the next Bond, which, uh, some of her credits I, I went through, I hadn't, I hadn't seen any of her movies that she's done, but, uh, her most recent credits are, uh, Serena from 2014, that, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper movie that was kind of released under the rug and wasn't that well received. Right. And also the night manager, which is a TV miniseries on AMC with Tom Hiddleston and Hugh Laurie. I haven't seen it. I don't have any of reference for it. Yeah. Me either. Really? Yeah. So that's what Sam Mendes is up to. Um, <laughs> yeah. And finally, for the last piece of news, as said before, um, Brian Singer is going to take a break from X-Men. And he said, quote, I recently met Danny Boyle. He and I have known each other for many years, but never met. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, uh, quote, he was prepping Steve Jobs at the time, and I was doing uh, this, meaning um, Apocalypse. And he said, are you going to be doing X-Men movies forever? <laughs> and uh, and I didn't actually say no. And then he went on to say that the reality is, even though I'm very desperate to jump to something completely different, I've spent so many years in this universe and I love this cast and the characters so much. I just don't see myself abandoning them forever, perhaps as a consultant or a producer or even as a director. I could see myself returning in the future. Just right now, since this one is done, I'd like to do something really different. So I think he has his next project lined up as 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah. So, um, you know, to read that headline after seeing Apocalypse and seeing the somewhat negative critical reception to Apocalypse, I kind of thought that maybe it was him just kind of cutting bait or abandoning ship. Yeah. But I don't know. His quotes seem seem okay or seem yeah. genuine. Yeah. I, I'm t I, I fully respect when a creative person bows out of a given property because I, th I think there's something very uh, noble about realizing when you've kind of had your time and you've put in your you've put in your perspective on a given right. story or a property or whatever, and then you're like, it's just time for someone else to do it. So yeah. I respect both of these guys for doing that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that that rounds us out for news, and we're gonna go ahead and go into our review of X Men Apocalypse. Um, before we do that, though, really briefly, uh, Tiny, what is your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the X Men franchise and uh, the most recent title in 2014, Days of Future Past? Uh, you know, it's really peaks and valleys. Uh, I think the first X Men movie was one of the first big ones that really 
kicked off all these comic book mm-hmm. movies. Was it like 1997, maybe? No, it was 2000. Was it 2000? Yep. Wow, I thought it was before that. It came that. eight years before the Marvel Cinematic Universe started. Wow, okay. So. But, you know, it's it's it was still up front there. And, and that movie, when you look at it compared to stuff now, it's it's pretty... It's pretty simple, and I think that simplicity is what appeals to people, mm-hmm. and what appealed to people back in 2000. Um, and I, I feel like they got away from that a little bit, mm-hmm. um, understandably so. You know, there's pressure from all different directions to make it bigger and grander than the last one, um, and I get that. But uh, I, I think the X Men franchise is ready for a little more simplicity, um, or just to be put on a shelf for half a decade or so, or mm-hmm. even longer. Um, but the, it was just peaks and valleys, I think with the whole franchise, it would go up and then go down and some of the peaks were fantastic and some of the valleys were deep. Right. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm the the kind of fan of it where if an X-Men movie comes out, I'm going to go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably going to like it at least a little bit. Right. Even X-Men Origins, Wolverines, I don't defend that movie cause it's indefensible. Right. Um, but I still kind of enjoy that movie a little really? bit. Really? Yeah, I, I won't okay. go so far as to say I like it, mm-hmm. but I can watch it and enjoy parts of it. So, sure. yeah. How about I mean, Days of Future Past? Days of Future Past, I think, is the highest peak. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll save my review of Apocalypse for our discussion of it, but okay. um, I, I don't think it quite reached the level of Days of Future Past. So, mm-hmm. um, I, for me, that's the pinnacle of what we've gotten so far out yeah. of X-Men. I uh yeah I concur except for the X Men Origins Wolverine I just think that that's completely unwatchable. Oh, okay. Um, that's fair. Yeah. Um, as for basically, I wrote I wrote a big review series of the X Men franchise on ObsessiveViewer.com a couple years ago in preparation for Days of Future Past. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes. But briefly, I'll just say that I grew up love grew up I guess I was what fourteen fifteen. Um, loving the first two X-Men movies. Okay. And like those two movies were fantastic. X2 was my favorite superhero movie for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, then, you know, we got the last stand and then um, I think the, after that, I think was X-Men origins Wolverine. Yeah. And like that, I didn't even bother watching it cause I had such a sour taste in my mouth from uh, the last stand. And then first class came out and that kind of, um, rejuvenated my interest in the franchise and then uh the wolverine i i just didn't really give that much attention to but um days of future past i agree was the highest point of the franchise for me i i thought that it was um a beautiful way to um meld together the two uh the two timelines of the franchise um, from first class and the original trilogy. And I just thought that it was really well done. It had its flaws. I thought that the, the ending, the climactic like showdown was a bit empty or, or, um, not really that interesting really. Yeah. <laughs> and a little convoluted, but I thought that it was still a really enjoyable time. And it was, it was a lot of, it was, it was really good for what it was. And it was really great at fixing the timeline. So, um, that brings us to X-Men Apocalypse. So, Tiny, what's your kind of brief um, overview of the movie? Spoiler um, free. Spoiler free, yeah. I, uh, I, I had such low expectations going in. From, really? Uh, yeah, so, so many different people said, mm-hmm. I heard from so many different sources that it just really isn't very good, and mm-hmm. um, that, that weighed heavily on my, on my uh, 
expectations going mm-hmm. in and just seeing all the stuff about how you know the the power rangers costume designers helped out i was just right. like oh this is gonna be bad mm-hmm. um and and i think that worked to my favor because i liked this quite a bit nice um i didn't love it i i don't i i don't know where in the franchise i would i would uh put the film but probably in the middle somewhere mm-hmm. um it was i don't know what it was about it but it was just it was just fun for me. It, it held my attention the whole time. I think it had a straightforward story that was easy enough to follow. It it, it even with the million characters who were in it and all the different storylines okay. and everything. I think they balanced it out decently well. Um, some characters went a little, little undeveloped, um, but I don't know. I I I dug it, and I I don't know how well I can defend it, but <laughs> I think it was a good movie. I'd probably give it like. Almost a seven, maybe. Oh, like okay. a high six out of ten. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Not a six and a half, not a seven. Right in there. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, as for my overview of X Men Apocalypse, I went into it with you know I, I'm I'm still riding a little high off of Days of Future Past. I I really enjoyed it, and I was really excited to have Singer back at the helm. Um, by by my count, he hadn't made a bad X Men movie yet. Um, cause he did X-Men, X2 and Days of Future Past. X-Men doesn't really hold up that well. It's a little dated, but it's still uh, below the surface. It's still a strong movie. So I went into, uh, Apocalypse kind of hearing whispers that it wasn't that good. And I will say that I don't, I don't think it was a bad movie. I don't think that it was, I don't think it was terrible. I, I didn't come out of it ready to bash it or anything like that, but I just thought that it was just kind of Okay. If I'm if I'm uh, ranking it against the franchise, I think I'd put it a little bit below average or below the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't know. There were some elements of it that, uh, for instance, I, I thought that the we'll get more into this as we discuss it. But I felt like the motivations of the villain were just completely vague, uninteresting, and the overall plan and and the execution of that plan was just by that point I was pretty much ready to get up and leave um and it just it took a long time to get into the actual story and it seemed like they were trying to do at one point it seems like the movie was divided into two different movies and two different narratives that i didn't really care about um reconciling in my brain we'll talk more about that in spoilers because i want to keep that there are people who don't watch trailers so I'll I'll keep that kind of uh for spoilers but there was just there was just this really pacing is really the main problem for me in this movie is that it just wasn't paced well um having said that I I thought that the I thought that it was it was okay overall as as far as action as far as comic book action movies go in the X-Men universe um it's no Deadpool obviously it's no X2 it's no Days of Future Past it's no X-Men but on the other hand it's also not as bad as X-Men Origins or I eh, I don't know I don't know where I'd rank it against uh this summer comic book movies right now but I would I didn't come out of it angry like I did with Batman v Superman and I didn't come out of it absolutely floored like Civil War so mm-hmm. um that's my kind of roundabout vague way of saying that I thought that this movie was okay there are elements that worked pretty well but other elements that just fell flat for me and didn't really do much for me in terms of uh, keeping me captivated as an audience member. And we'll dive more into that. I think 
my rating would probably be five or maybe five point five out of ten. Okay. So yeah, so we'll dig more into that then. Um <laughs> for those who for whatever reason don't know, um X Men Apocalypse, the plot outline is with the emergence of the world's first mutant apocalypse, the X Men must unite to defeat uh his extinction level plan. So Tiny, right off the bat, what did you think of some of the new characters? Like, um, we got a new introduction of Scott Summers or Cyclops, and we've got we got Jean Grey and a new Nightcrawler, new Storm. Uh, there's Psylocke. There's of course Apocalypse. We'll talk to, talk about him separately. But there's these, all these new characters. What stood out to you? of those characters and 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 what did you think of their reintroductions of some of them um i thought uh scott summers was done really well uh cyclops because i i was i was always very unsatisfied with his character in, in the original trilogy um I, I mean i used to think less of james marsden because i thought he he was a terrible actor hmm. um but i don't think it was him i think i just don't think the character was written all that well um i I, I never really connected with him very much in the original trilogy, um, but I right right off the bat, I think they just gave him a certain attitude, and he just stuck out so much more. He had so much more personality mm-hmm. than the Scott Summers we had in the original trilogy, played by James Marsden. So uh, he was a standout, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the low points for me were Angel and Psylocke. I mean, they mm-hmm. barely had lines, let alone character right. development. Um, I mean, that's kind of typical of uh, of main villain hen- villains henchmen to be a little undeveloped. But mm-hmm. they could have done a lot more with with both of those characters, um, especially Angel with the whole tortured angle and yeah. uh, Psylocke with the whole really hot Olivia Munn. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, sure. And, you know, if they would have added that stuff in, it could have felt even more bloated. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that was a creative choice. But um, And as far as the other character, like Storm, not much there either. Right. Um, I think the actress was really exciting. She had the look mm-hmm. going. I think she looked awesome. Oh, totally. She looked great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, did, your, did your theater show the, like, pre-thing with her talking to the yes. audience? Yeah. Yeah. When I came out of the movie, all I thought was like for for the for the listeners, basically before the movie actually started, the actress who plays Storm, who I don't have the name readily available, it's Alexandra something I think, but um, there was like this like kind of PSA thing saying like, hey, thanks for coming to see our movie. A lot of people worked really hard on this movie, and we're really excited for you to see it. Just basic PR stuff like that. That's before the movie starts, and it. I mean, by the end of the movie, it seemed like she had more more words to say in that in that thing than she did in the entire movie, and that was a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Like you said, with the with the the four horsemen characters, even yeah. it like Psylocke, it, like <laughs> the internet is kind of predisposed to like kind of rag on Olivia Munn. Like I feel like she doesn't get a fair chance to showcase her acting abilities. I haven't really seen her. She hasn't blown me away in anything really. Right. But I kind of feel like there's this predisposition to, um, to kind of dislike what she does with her acting uh, talent. Which I mean, I I don't care one way or another. I I'm not a. I wasn't. I didn't follow her when she was on um, Attack of the Show or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I I don't care one way or another. But going into, like I kind of I I. I hope that she gives a good performance and everything. She had nothing to work with here. Nothing. Like at all. And I came away thinking like, okay, well, 
I I enjoyed Psylocke in the movie because I thought that she handled her um, action scenes particularly well. But I mean, I did not care about the character at all because they didn't give her anything. Right. Agreed. Um, I was a little disappointed with Nightcrawler. I think he was funny. Mm-hmm. He, he he had some good comic relief. Sure. Um, I appreciated that. But his character in in like the comics and even some of the earlier movies, mm-hmm. he is such a such a deep character. Mm-hmm. There's so like he's a very tortured person, which is a common thread throughout the X Men. But he he's a he's a fan favorite for a lot of the fans of the comics and stuff. And I think they could have they could have tapped into some more of that depth. Mm-hmm. And and they they chose not to. It, it's more of a choice than anything they made. And I can't, you know, if they had gone that direction, I don't know if it would have dragged the movie down a little bit. But sure, I would have liked to seen a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other big, the big one that stuck out was uh, Sophie Turner. Yeah, as uh, Jean Grey, mm-hmm. I thought she did a really good job. Um, I think so too. I was again just a tiny bit um, disappointed with Famke Jansen. Was that who played her in? Yeah. In the original, Famke Jansen, yeah. the original trilogy. Um, I just thought she was a little flat as that character. Yeah. In the original trilogy. I don't think she's an amazing actress anyways. Those first uh, three movies really were contingent on the kind of, um, love struck angle of Wolverine and, and Jean Grey and the triangle. Movies. Yeah. And yeah. when I went back and watched it a couple years ago, I just thought I'm not really that invested in this whole thing. So right, maybe right. part of that was Famke Jansen. She's more than she, her, that character is more than just the peak of a love triangle, if you will. Right. She's more than that. And mm-hmm. I'm glad they did that in this movie. They showcased that. Right. So Scott Summers, Cyclops, uh, you, you mentioned, you mentioned that you liked what they did here. Cause James Marsden, Mm-hmm. Uh, was kind of wasted in those first three movies. Yeah. And I agree. However, it kind of seemed like... Uh, it just seemed like the movie didn't really know what it wanted to do with any of the characters, really. Yeah. Um, particularly Scott Summers. He, like, the movie... Just about... Uh, I One of the opening scenes is him discovering his powers, which it's a cool... It's a cool thing, because, you know, you I kind of always wonder how... Does someone who can't open their eyes without causing destruction, how does that person, how does the genesis of their powers happen? Um, and it, it was done well, but by the end of the movie, I'm like, why did they show that? Like, what was, what storytelling purpose was that? And it kind of felt like knowing that Cyclops is like this, is like one of the leaders of the X-Men or one of the leaders of the team, it kind of felt like this this introduction almost belonged in like the first movie of like, like basically the first class equivalent of this second trilogy, essentially. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And it just seemed like it seemed like they were setting up for more movies without having those more movies planned out or, uh, intended to do any of that. (laughs) Right. It just seemed like, okay, well we'll go ahead and introduce, cyclops into this into this world which i mean that's fine he hadn't been in first class or um days of future past and i don't think he was in either timeline in that one but um Mm. no this is first of of the young cast and like that's fine but it's just it didn't serve any real purpose and it i mean it set up the gene gray and cyclops relationship a little bit and i like that they did that with at least a hint of subtlety but Mm -hmm. it just it kind of felt like it felt like that origin scene didn't really belong in the movie, and I would have been I would have been fine with it being omitted. Um, part of me also thinks maybe that's Brian Singer um, making up for kind of just dragging that character through the mud in the first three movies. Yeah, could so be. So that that could be 
the point of that, but he, I don't know. Yeah, he could have not been in the movie and had you pretty pretty much would have had the same movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. No, I mean he would have been in the like. Yeah, he served purpose in the actual movie. Yeah, but, but that origin though. Was the origin, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. Um. Yeah, and then Nightcrawler, I actually, I dug quite a bit. Yeah. I agree what you said, because this is actually his first, I don't know if you realize this actually, do you know that this is his first X-Men movie since X2? Oh, wow, like, yeah. That's the only X-Men movie he's been in. Jeez. And I remember when I went back and rewatched the whole tr- uh, the whole franchise for that review series, I just got to X2 and I was like, I, I'm... I can't believe this is the last I'm going to see of, of mm-hmm. uh, Nightcrawler. Yeah. Because, like, when I was a kid, I watched the um, animated series, and I loved Nightcrawler. I, I thought was he just was, about to mention that. Yeah, he was he was fantastic. He was a fully realized character on that show, mm-hmm. and he was, again, a fan favorite. He was one of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he was fully realized in that series, and the movies never never found that version of Nightcrawler, right. and it's it's a bit of a shame. Yeah, Nightcrawler was was really done well in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed what they did with him. Some of the comedy though, overall, just fell just kind of flat for me. Yeah, um, it was just kind of a little a little forced. Like some of the stuff with, and this is kind of kind of transition a little bit into the plot, but some of the stuff with um, Xavier, in particular. Some of his dialogue about and to Moira McTaggart, um, played by Rose Byrne, just felt really awkward, but in the wrong kind of awkward. Like, yeah, it just seemed like it was a for. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. It was delivered well, but mm-hmm. the problem was it was just it felt like it was out of context, really. Yeah, and and that's kind of a weird way to put it. Um, but it, it it just yeah it kind of felt a little unnatural for uh, for the character of Charles Xavier as well. But at the same time, I kind of enjoyed his vulnerability in that mm-hmm. in that uh, in those moments. Um, so it, it was give and take. But yeah, the comic relief was forced. You said the word forced. That's mm-hmm. a good that's a good word for it. It's uh it's like well we need to throw in some jokes here, so let's do this. Um some of it landed with me, especially some of the stuff from Nightcrawler was good. Mm-hmm. Um and I I have a man crush on James McAvoy, so sure. some of that goofy stuff did did land with me, but that's bias more than right. anything, I think. So Yeah. And I, I liked I liked his performance though, overall. Like I, I well I liked I liked. <laughs> I felt like the script didn't really give him much to do. Yeah, but he did a lot with what he and had. He did. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And just some of the lines just felt just awkward and out of place. In addition to that, in that relationship, and also just throughout, like uh, uh, this is kind of a spoiler. It, like in the in the climactic battle, there's like scenes where people say things, and it's like like it made me cringe just a little bit, just, just a tad, just a tad. And it kind of, it kind of bugged me. Um, but it didn't really derail the movie overall for me. What did derail the movie for me a little bit was apocalypse. <sighs> We're introduced to his character back way back, um, in Egypt. And, you know, that's a compelling introduction. I, I, I was along for the ride with how they introduced him, how they explained, um, his basic, uh, his stasis and wh- why he lay dormant. I, I, I appreciated that because it showed why and how he 
he's been resting this whole time. Like I thought that was that was fine. But once he awakens, um it just seems like he's roaming around, he's he's assembling his um no Marvel property pun intended. He's assembling his team of, um, <laughs> of mutants that he ha- He's getting. He's gathering his four horsemen, and it's like about about halfway through the movie. I'm like, okay, just get on with it. Just just do your thing. And then the plot uh, just goes into different, takes different detours, and his it just it just felt like I didn't really get the sense that apocalypse. Like I get that he was doing things. I didn't really get the reason why. I didn't get I didn't even get a good sense of what exactly his powers were and I it just and I didn't even get the sense that, you know, he was really convincing these people to follow him. Like I I just thought that it was a little hollow for me. I thought that it would have been more more intriguing if he had just a more powerful grasp on the four horsemen and something. Just I thought that I wish that there was something more there. Okay. Yeah, I I I kind of just I felt differently about it. I don't know okay. if I say I disagree, but I felt mm-hmm. differently about it. Um I I I like the way that he I like the way that he operated through manipulation. Mm-hmm. He found flaws in people and exploited them in order in order to get them to his side. It wasn't so much about the four horsemen that he collected uh believing in his cause. It was mm-hmm. more about exploiting what was wrong with them and mm-hmm. trying to use that to his advantage. Um, and so I found that intriguing. And, and for me, the best thing about Apocalypse that I really liked was his interaction with uh, some of the mutants given how he affected their powers. Mm-hmm. Because I he's clearly an evil person who just craves power and wants to rule the universe right. um, and destroy anyone who's not strong enough to survive in his, his world. Um, but I think there's a really interesting channel throughout his story where he kind of brings out, he, he allows people to realize the widest and most powerful realization of their powers. Mm-hmm. For example, what Magneto does, uh, the scene at Auschwitz, which I, thought was awesome mm-hmm. um and just his what he does in the climax and everything and then everything he does with with uh charles xavier mm-hmm. i thought that was he kind of has a point throughout the movie he's like you're <laughs> not he's like you're not tapping into the full potential of your powers you need to don't see yourself as like a steward of the powers see yourself as a master of them and like you you should use these to to do good things or do important incredible things and i thought that was an interesting dynamic because he has a point like i don't think if he if he never came along who knows if uh magneto and professor xavier would have ever understood the full breadth of their powers and it it bites him in the ass in the end right but it was i don't know i enjoyed that and uh I don't know. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I can I can understand that, but I just I just could not connect to it the way that you did because it just felt more like, uh, particularly like like with uh, with Angel. It's like, oh yeah, okay. Well, let's meet Angel. Oh, let me you know let me give you some new wings, and you know, and that that's suddenly he's part of the team, and it just seemed like 
like he's recruiting like the the four horsemen are basically his minions to wreak havoc and destruction on the entire planet and cl- like cleanse the entire like he says that he needs to cleanse humans off the planet and it's like i mean if my arm's broken and some guy is like here i'm gonna fix your arm instantly and give you a new arm a bionic arm that's really powerful now go kill a bunch of people (laughs) i'd be like oh i don't know about this guy um (laughs) yeah and it just and that's that's a weak that's a weak analogy but it's it's somewhat fits in my per, my perception of how the movie told its story, and there are some cases like with Magneto, which I think we'll we'll talk a little bit about Magneto's arc, probably more in spoilers than anything. But there are some that it's like kind of do like Magneto is a is a very um, uh, very mercurial. Uh, mercurial uh, character who is, you know, he switches sides, switches sides often. So it's, you know, it's kind of expected he would be kind of an evil. He would be attracted to evil, but I mean, Storm is just this kid in, I think Egypt that you know has some powers that, um, and and she idolizes Mystique, which we can talk about Mystique also in a in a bit. But um, she just like she sees her as a hero, and I, I, I think that maybe the through line of the the horsemen and what they well i don't know so maybe the through line is that they are mutants and that they are um maybe the movie was trying to communicate that the mutants are um sought after not maybe not sought after but they're looked at looked down upon by humans and everything which is a clear running thread throughout the entire franchise but like I don't know when when Singer started the franchise with the first two X Men, he put such an emphasis on um, the allegory of um, the mutants versus humans thing as being like uh, being like a um, a metaphor for hate and particularly um, the persecution of homosexuals and social situations like that, um, and that that was such a clear narrative through line throughout all of singer's movies in here i i didn't get any of that like at all and it just seemed like it was just you know they were hunting for magneto because he was on tv 10 years before and that's about the extent of the human versus mutant debate which i mean granted we're several movies into this franchise so maybe they don't really need to do that or spell it out or anything like that but it still felt just it just felt like there was no motivation for me aside from uh, Apocalypse just, you know, sweet-talking the mutants into joining him. I just thought that it was just a little hollow for me. Yeah, that's fair. And throughout what you said about the whole humans versus mutant thing is, uh, at the very least, it was a subplot throughout the the other films. And, and here it was just kind of hinted at a little bit. Right. And I get that, but I think... I think we're just at this point in the franchise. I just kind of feel like we're past that a little bit, and it, it has to always be present because it's always a conflict. But this this was just so much. This was so much different. It was about it was just about the conflict amongst the mutants. You know, it was about w- how they were going to choose to exist in the world and how they were going to. They had to pick a side in this, and I don't know. I think I think there should have been a little bit more about how. There's a point where Apocalypse kind of says, you know, 
anyone who survives this will be worthy of living in the new world, sort of. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in a way, that's basically him saying the mutants are going to survive this and that's about right. it. So we're going to rule the world and then eventually the universe and stuff like that. So there's a bit of supremacy and, uh, you know, ego involved in that. Mm-hmm. And so that that that's a bit of a reference to that whole conflict and that, that, that idea. But yeah. it was pretty unrealized and it, it was and, and not yeah just not very uh just not covered all that well so i understand right. your your qualms with that mm. it just didn't bother me that much yeah like i'd have to see it again but it just seems like that that motivation or that um kind of selling point for the mutants to join apocalypse like sure that that's what he intended and everything but like seeing that contrasted with storm like having a a poster of Mystique on her wall because she idolizes her because she saved I think I think her the perspective that she had of Mystique was that she saved the president and a bunch of people and she's like I want to I want to live up to that expectation and everything and then suddenly Apocalypse is like oh I need to cleanse the planet and she's like oh I'm game for that let's do it it just seemed yeah. it seemed kind of I don't know I, it just didn't work for me and I feel like part of that is that Apocalypse wasn't uh, his character as a whole wasn't uh, as fully realized as I would have liked him to be. Yeah. Um, still, like Marvel Studios have weaker, still have weaker villains. <laughs> True. Um, than Apocalypse, by my count, in some of their um, some of their worst moments. But I still just wish that there was something. And I'll save this for spoilers. But there is a clear like subplot that I feel like could have been just completely just gutted and omitted from the movie overall. And it would have been, it would have given them far more screen time to develop apocalypse and the four horsemen and all that. Yeah. But we'll save that for spoilers. Okay. Okay. Um, so Magneto, um, I don't know how much we want to talk about this in the spoiler list, um, segment, but, what did you think of his where he was at the beginning of the movie? And because he's kind of laying low after the events of uh, Days of Future Past, and he's he's built his own little life. How did you feel about that characterization? That I enjoyed mm-hmm. um, seeing him kind of as as a simple person, mm-hmm. as a more you know he's a larger than life character, and to see him just being a common man right. was was an interesting exercise. I think. Um, so I, I really don't have an issue with that, but I, I feel like his eventual arc is just, it's really just a derivation of almost all of his arcs mm-hmm. throughout the series. Anyways, it's, you know, it's, he's a flip flopper. He's the Mitt Romney of the <laughs> X-Men universe. Um, so yeah, I, I can't, I can't criticize it too much because I did like it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the the two men in the world I have the biggest man crush on are James McAvoy and uh, Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. Yeah. So, <laughs> bit of bias here, but I, I I think he's he's I really appreciate his version of Magneto. And okay, I've just I've just enjoyed it so much over the these three movies that I don't want to criticize it that much because I've I've just had so much fun with it. That's fair. Yeah, uh, and we'll talk more in depth about about his arc in the movie um, in spoilers. But um, kind of to kind of round out the spoiler free segment of this review, um, Mystique. Now, I like okay. I understand fans of the comics are you know like Mystique isn't a big character in the comics, and they 
it seems like the movies are designed are the movies are making her a, a main point of the of it strictly because Jennifer Lawrence is is really it right now mm-hmm. and she brings in money and I think you know in in Days of Future Past I didn't have a problem with that I thought that she did fine and it suited the story of that universe very well here it stuck out so bad for me yeah like it was I kept thinking like oh okay well they just want Jennifer Lawrence on screen so that Jennifer Lawrence fans will pay money to see the movie mm-hmm. and it felt like it just felt really disingenuous to the story being told this time around and it was just kind of like she's this she's like this military leader of the x-men and she's rallying the troops and everything and i'm like okay she's blue katniss everdeen like (laughs) she's she's this she's doing the same kind of thing and i i don't know i just i thought that that was just kind of a big misstep and i think they put too much faith in her celebrity and um her uh, uh, it factor basically uh, to carry the movie, and I don't think that character really should carry the movie that much. Um, yeah, it just it just it stuck out to me, and I just I didn't really like it that much. I agree with that one hundred percent. Nice. <laughs> um, I felt the same way. Her character was like out of place in this movie, and it's like it's like uh, what do, what do we do with her? Um, she'll be the rallier. Yeah. Right. Okay. It's like you know, it's like. She was just out of place, yeah. and, and it, this this felt like what to your point where people have pointed out that it seems kind of exploitative of her celebrity to have mm-hmm. her throughout featured so prominently throughout these two movies and now the third. Uh, I, I feel like the first two, it wasn't a problem mm-hmm. because she was interesting and she added a lot to right. the plot. And Jennifer Lawrence is a good actress despite the fact that she's so hugely popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this movie, this it, that exploitation was at its highest point, I think. Right. Because they did, they just didn't they didn't even try to do very much with their character. Yeah, um, and I think that's why I liked her in Days of Future Past is because her her character is kind of the linchpin of the entire plot, mm-hmm. and she's the reason why Wolverine has to go back in time and everything. It's different from the comics, but I can accept that because I've never read the comics and I don't have that um, bias going into it. Yeah, and I thought that was fine. And and her relationship with Magneto and um and uh, Professor Xavier, like like that dynamic worked really well in Days of Future Past. Here, it's just. It yeah, it just felt so hollow and empty to me. It just felt like it felt I don't know. It it just it like I said, it just felt empty to me and also there was so much so much of her as human Jennifer Lawrence that yeah. I have to assume that it was like in her con like she renegotiated her contract or where yeah. she wouldn't be in the makeup for as as long. And even when she was in the makeup, she was wearing clothes like right. she wasn't really naked very much or you know the equivalence of naked right. um yeah I, I i noticed that too yeah and it was just i don't know it it didn't impair the movie it impaired the movie somewhat to me but it just it just felt well it just didn't fit it just didn't fit for me i agree um and we would be remiss if we didn't bring up quicksilver also oh yeah um yeah so days of future past introduced quicksilver to the mix in a very um very uh highly 
respected and celebrated sequence and they kind of doubled down on that and they did a huge they didn't even bigger set piece for him Mm -hmm. in this movie what did you think of quicksilver and his inclusion in this movie they could make a whole a whole quicksilver silver movie of just that those kind of sequences and Mm -hmm. i'd be all over it um i i'm not to say that i don't think it'll ever that would ever get old but it's just it's just too fun to leave out yeah. Um, it's, it, it's, it's just too fun and, and too, too well done. It's just yeah. like, that. that's the best representation of a character like that. Mm-hmm. who's just faster than anything. That's just, it's just so impressive. Um, and, and it also, that also added some comedic relief mm-hmm. that I think was, was needed and was actually done well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and thankfully in this, this movie they gave him a lot more development and they turned him into a real character he wasn't there totally. he wasn't just there for all flair he actually had mm-hmm. some a little bit of depth and, and and some development that i really appreciated uh, yeah. i think he tied in well um with the plot he wasn't just kind of there for those reasons uh for for superficial reasons he was there for the plot and I appreciated that, and I, I don't can't even, can't even remember the actor's name, but he he's just great. Evan Peters. Evan Peters, yeah, yeah. he's great with the whole smirky, quirky right. attitude. But then he totally got serious and mm-hmm. was was like a real a real character in this. Mm-hmm. And he did well. I agree. I just wish that there was more payoff to his arc. Yeah, than, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I, I I'll just, agree with that. Yeah, I, I was waiting for a a certain big moment, but it just never came, and it was it was a downer for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for the big set piece that they had with him, I I I liked the Days of Future Past sequence better because um, it just felt like this one. I mean, I, I I like what they did, and I liked how they did it. It just seemed just seemed like there was just a little too much. Like they cranked it up to eleven a little too much, and. Mm. I kind of I kind of think that it was a little bit overdone because I think that that style and that flair and that because it's it's basically the same thing it's just you know showing his powers while having a um time appropriate I guess uh pop song play yeah that's that's tongue in cheek and seeing all that like that's fine and that's great in small doses but this was so much bigger than the than days of future past and by the end of it i was like that was really cool and i love what they did i just saw i just saw it in a more novel way two years ago yeah so i don't know i don't dislike him i think evan peters is phenomenal as quicksilver and i agree you could have a whole movie with him Mm -hmm. um oh it'd be really cool to see him team up with deadpool actually oh that'd be fantastic that'd be really cool yeah um but then again uh, like i said his arc didn't really uh wasn't as satisfying to me at the end because it didn't really uh pay off for me yeah what did you think of the visual effects uh they were fine i mean nothing stood out amazingly well i really appreciated the detail of uh, Magneto's basically tapping into the gravity of the Earth. Mm-hmm. That I thought that was really cool. It was almost like a meat grinder. Yeah. He turned gravity into a meat grinder. That was pretty awesome. Um, I appreciated that. Uh, I don't know. Nothing, nothing really stuck out as like, it's amazing how they did that. I think mm-hmm. the, the slow motion stuff with Quicksilver is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but to your point, I think it was done a little better in the last movie. Right. Um, it was fine. Not, I I don't really focus on special effects anymore. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same way, but some of the special effects in the end sequence, maybe it was more the setting than anything. It just it just felt a little like felt a little like they could have spent a little bit more time on it. It it kind of felt more like they were playing against a 
a blue screen or whatever. Okay. And it just, I don't know, something, I don't have the, um, I don't have the uh, knowledge to really articulate what I had a problem with in, in, in that, um, in that respect, but it just, something about, it, it took me out of the movie just a little bit that it just felt a little off. Like, like they were playing in a playground. Maybe it's because they were in that location and that location is just kind of, <laughs> it was like they were playing in a big sandbox. Basically. Uh, okay. like there was no like distinct, there was nothing really to distinguish where they were, or what they were doing Okay, that much. There wasn't anything unique or any, anything really to set it, a, set it a, set it apart from any other real, uh, as, as opposed to any other location. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go into spoilers though, I basically posted a, uh, post on our Facebook page, which is at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer. Um, go ahead and go like that page for us. Cause I really like when I get the notification, say that people like our page. <laughs> um, so I posted a, a question just asking everyone what they thought, and I got quite a few responses, so I'm just going to go ahead and read them. Um, okay, so here we go. Uh, Alex, our, our friend Alex, who is also a contributor on obsessivebooknerd.com, uh, she said that uh, X-Men Apocalypse was definitely had its moments, uh, but she liked First Class better, and the Quicksilver parts were the best. And then on the Facebook page, her fiancé Justin actually responded with... Uh, Casting and acting were both solid, but I felt like the plot advanced far too rapidly and haphazardly, in my opinion. With the vast number of characters and rich personal history of X-Men, there's only so much you can shove into two to three hours of screen time. I think it would make for a great HBO series with the right budget, but I know that's wishful thinking. And I totally agree with that. I think that with the amount of characters, I think that it would be a great TV series. Totally. And then Brandon Cruz from, uh, he's a fellow Twilight Zone podcast, er, um, from <laughs> the Submitted for Your Approval podcast, which I'm actually going to be a guest on here in like a month or two, I think. Cool. Um, I think at the end of the July, uh, end of July is what he said. Um, anyway, uh, he said that he's not a fan of X-Men Apocalypse, to be honest. Uh, there's a bunch wrong with this movie. It's hard to pinpoint what the underlying issue is, but there is an issue. Uh, to me, in a few years, I don't think this movie will be looked back on fondly. And, yeah. Um, and then also, Jeff Palermo from Sci-Fi On Screen Podcast um, wrote, I didn't mind it. Uh, was a decent addition to my bucket of popcorn. I liked it more than I did Days of Future Past. So you can, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so you can check out his podcast, Sci-Fi On Screen. And uh, finally, friend of the show, Mike, uh, who we met at PopCon, um, he's at gray matter splat on Twitter. Uh, and also it's worth mentioning that, uh, in the indie popcon Facebook group, there was a post where, um, one of the organizers posted saying like, what podcast do you listen to? And he, like he mentioned the obsessive viewer in his comment. I, I remember like, that. That was nice. Of yeah, him. that was awesome. So anyway, he said that, uh, X-Men apocalypse was okay. I never really felt like there were any actual stakes. And in Oscar Isaac's defense, Apocalypse has honestly always been kind of bland with vague motiva- motivations. And uh, when I referenced the plot line that I felt could be completely cut out of the movie and replaced with more development for Apocalypse, he said, I got the feeling that that sequence was written in when Jackman w- agreed to make an appearance. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said they knew it would bring people to the theater to show that Wolverine was in the... Wolverine in the trailer. So, right. 
Okay, so uh, that's it for our spoiler-free discussion, and we're going to have a brief spoiler section. Uh, so we'll have music playing or the trailer playing. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, but uh, just so you know, at the end of this, we're going to start spoiling X-Men Apocalypse. So be warned, if you want to go ahead and skip to the potpourri section, you can uh, check, out the sh- check the show notes for the correct timestamp, or you can go to um, obsessiveviewer.com slash OV170 for the show notes and timestamps and all that stuff. You're going to join them, aren't you? You wanted me to get out of the house more, right? It's all of us. Against a god. Let's go to war. Forget everything you think you know. You're not students anymore. You're X-Men. So, all right, spoilers on. Spoilers on for X-Men Apocalypse. So, Tiny, uh, Alex Summers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Havoc in the movie. Um, I felt like his death, the emotional impact of his death on um, Scott Summers, Cyclops, I felt like that just didn't wasn't earned at all for me. Yeah, it was very empty. Yeah. Uh, he just wasn't an... This is a mean thing to say. He just wasn't an, an interesting enough character. He wasn't in the first couple, the first couple movies of this trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just wasn't. He really was not interesting. I mean, uh, and he he didn't. They never developed him all that much, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of a downfall, if you will, of the first couple movies. Um, but I I agree. I I just really didn't feel it that much. Yeah, I I didn't, and it's like. It's just the contrast of, of the reveal of his death is like, you know, Quicksilver's going through and doing his Quicksilver thing, and it's it's awesome, and it's enjoyable, it's crowd-pleasing, it's fun, and then suddenly it's like, I think I got everyone, and yeah. then Cyclops is like, uh, my brother was in, I think it was Cyclops that said it, but he's like, my brother, or someone said... It was Hank. Okay, it yeah. was Hank. Uh, it was like, oh, Alex was right by the blast, and it's like... And then that's it. Like that's it. That's all we get of it. Like I wish that there was more, more of an impact on it rather than just kind of move past it. I guess. Yeah, it was it was clumsy. Mm-hmm. It was clumsy. Yeah. So immediately after the destruction of uh, the school for the gifted, Stryker shows up in a helicopter, takes some mutants, and then there's this long. I'm. A long, dragged-out sequence at the Weapon X facilities, and it just felt like... That's what I'm talking about when I say that that could have been cut out from the movie entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only the only purpose it served was in being sort of a cohesive event for all those characters to come together. Sure. But, again, it's it was fluff. Mm-hmm. It, it was fluff, and it was, it was like... I don't know if I'd say fan service mm-hmm. or it, it was more oh, definitely it was exploitative yeah because it was like well Hugh Jackman's willing to show up and do mm-hmm. this so let's use that right and that's that's why they yeah. did it yeah and it just felt it's felt so disconnected from the rest of the movie so disconnected from what Apocalypse is doing and it took away valuable screen time that could have been spent setting up Apocalypse and and really developing his character mm-hmm. granted. I think that his character, like like uh, a friend of the show, Mike, uh, at Green Matter Splat said, 
he's not very, you know, he's not a very deep character, really. Yeah. But, I mean, in the adaptation, they could have made him deep. They could have brought, gave, given him more depth oh, yeah. with that screen time. And I felt like that was just such a kind of a, betra- not betrayal, but kind of just a disservice to us as audience members that we get this completely hollow villain and vague motivations and vague plans just because, you know, Hugh Jackman felt uh, felt up to having a cameo in the movie. Right. It was just it was just really it bothered me. And and to your credit and to your point, yes, it did bring the characters together and it did, you know, it it put them together in a way that satisfied that arc, I guess, the arc of the the characters of the students basically, but just not enough for me. It wasn't pointless, but it wasn't the best use of their time. Right. Yeah. And I kind of wish that they hadn't shown the Wolverine cameo, like teased it in the trailer. Cause, yeah, that was stupid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, like, I, like, when they kind of showed, you know, they heard grunting behind the behind the door and everything, I felt like, oh, man, okay, well, I know that Wolverine's here because I've seen in the trailer, I've seen uh, Cyclops say, say, oh, we had help and I saw the claws and everything in the trailer, but you know, it's wasted because this surprise is wasted. Granted, I mean, they're at the Weapon X facility. We know that he's at, he's there from the last movie. Okay. Yeah. It's a given that he's going to be there, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It just felt, I don't know. The, the, the action in it was very PG 13, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but it was still fun. Cause I mean, my God, seeing Hugh Jackman do his Wolverine thing yeah. is so cool. He's just the best man for the job. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm going to, I'll give you a little bit of friction on the PG 13 ness of okay. it. I thought it was pretty violent. There, yeah. There, there were I violent mean, moments, sure. Yeah. yeah and it, Wolverine's a super violent character. Mm-hmm. He's just raw carnage. That That's just what he is in the comics and, and even the, the animated series. He was intimidating and scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can't, you can't pull your punches right. in those scenes. And I, I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, there's blood splatters and they, sure. I yeah. mean, the sound effects were effective. I, mm. I, I, I wanted to give them the filmmakers credit in mm. that, in that regard. I feel like the violence was amped up a little bit and I appreciated that. That's just my opinion. Sure. <laughs> I think that my, I think that my issues with it is more that, it felt it felt a lot like a Hugh Jackman cameo in that it was like, okay, guys, I'm going to be on set for this amount of time. Let's not rehearse this big choreographed thing. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just, you know, cut around it, show some blood splatter, and then I'll be on my way to do my thing. Oh, that's true. So I think that that's, that's where it was. Like, I mean, granted, I don't – I'll have to go back and revisit, you know, the movies and everything, but – Honestly, the assault on the school in X2, I don't know if we'll ever get an X, a Wolverine sequence that's as satisfying as that. Yeah. Because that was just insane. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> while we're on the subject of the Wolverine cameo, what did you think of uh, teen Jean Grey and him and how she said that she gave him a piece of his memory or something. I thought it was kind of a nice moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't it didn't bother me. I and it's, it's just been so long since I've seen the original trilogy too that I, the original X Men trilogy. Um, I just don't, I don't remember a lot from that to be honest. Sure. Um, and I, it wasn't my favorite part of that franchise or that that trilogy. So, I, 
it, it didn't necessarily mean a lot to me or it didn't seem hollow to me. I, I enjoyed it. Right, yeah. They're, uh, I, I enjoyed it too. However, it just just seeing seeing those characters together at those stages of their lives cuz Jean Grey is super young yeah and knowing that uh, knowing that she's going to have this romantic yearning for him in the future granted he's kind of ageless and right you know he's immortal or whatever um but seeing them at that point like it just felt a little uncomfortable to me hmm. uh just as an audience member but that's my own thing probably i don't know i didn't get i didn't get that sense from it it was it was intimate but it wasn't romantic right yeah yeah. there was no romance there because it wasn't that but it just i don't know it just felt i don't know i just had some residual thoughts about um you know the franchise as a whole i guess i don't know okay if i'm alone in this you know or if someone else uh had that feeling too let me know if you can articulate it better you can you know you can always email us or facebook us or whatever okay um so let's see we already covered that let's let's talk a little bit about magneto and his magneto the family guy yeah <laughs> i i thought that that was cool i thought that it was fine um I think that I don't really have much thoughts about that storyline itself. I thought that the way that my, this is nitpicking and everything, but I felt like the way that it ended with, with his wife and daughter being killed, something about the way that it was shot. Like when the arrow hits his daughter, I was like, I I couldn't really tell. I don't know if this is the way that it was shot or the way it was edited or a mixture of both, but it was like, apparently the arrow went through and killed his wife too apparently yeah 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 i didn't get that either i was like oh his daughter died that sucks and yeah. then it cuts to a few scenes later i'm like oh his his wife died too really right was that guy really really like hauling back on that arrow that it had enough force to go through two people right. does that happen i mean i don't think arrows really do that yeah. unless you're like really cranking right. on it granted uh, one of those know. people were like a mini person so. <laughs> a little a mini person yeah, yeah. a little person <laughs> um yeah you know to that whole storyline, I actually really liked that because mm-hmm. up to this point, all we've seen of Magneto is either just pure rage and like, you know, I don't necessarily want to say evil because I don't know if he's an evil guy, mm-hmm. but he does a lot of bad stuff. It's either the 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 bad stuff, the darkness, or it's the struggle, the mm-hmm. struggle between those two things but this it's just it's he was like a sitcom dad right. you know it's like totally different than any time any other time we've seen magneto he's just trying to really walk the line and be mm. a a good person and just exist as a as a normal m- member of society mm-hmm. and it, it was just interesting to see his character like that i yeah it, that, that was interesting and i didn't have any real qualms with it i felt like that that whole arc that whole storyline i feel like that that it made me think like okay i would see a magneto movie um but here in apocalypse it just contrasted with the the hollowness of the villain character and the motivations of the villain it just it just felt like it was a wasted opportunity to do something worthwhile with the character yeah and i think that his turn at the end like his turn that that he you know decided that he was going to help the x men with a really really cheesy putting two um beams down in front of apocalypse in the shape of an x yeah i was like okay guys let's (laughs) let's not 
please. I didn't mind that so much. Yeah, I just I kind of rolled my eyes a little. It's I, definitely I didn't hate it. it's cheesy. It's it's cheesy, and I I didn't hate it, but I was like, okay, okay, singer, okay. <laughs> um, but I felt like his turn, his his turn to uh to to basically help save everything. I was like, I I felt like that was just unearned. Um, yeah. I wish that, and this goes back to um, Quicksilver his his arc not being fulfilling i kind of wish that you know i kind of wish that when he and mystique were were doing the worst that they could to convince magneto to to turn to the good side um i could i wish that there would have been a heartfelt moment between him and quicksilver and that yeah. could have been what caused him to to you know save everyone or whatever it's a missed opportunity yeah because yeah. without that it just seems like oh okay yeah uh, okay I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and I'll I'll be good right now. Yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's just intrinsically who Magneto is as a character. Yeah. But it just felt like completely unearned in this movie and in this story for me. Right. And and I think I think that kind of that drop, if you will, kind of hints at how it kind of hints at the timeliness of this movie coupled with days of future past Mm -hmm. because days of future past felt so conclusive. Mm -hmm. Like that felt like the third movie in a trilogy. Like that should have been the last movie. Those storylines should have culminated the way they did with that movie. But we had all this, all the rest of this stuff to address with apocalypse. And I mean, there were, there was some conclusiveness in there, but it's like, they left a lot of stuff open too. Like, mm-hmm. why? Why would you not have Quicksilver open up to his biological father? Right. Like, what are you saving that for? Mm-hmm. This, this is so clearly, like this. This is the third movie. This, this has to be the end. Like, don't save that for something mm-hmm. else. It's, I don't know. I, I just didn't. I feel like they were pulling their punches in that respect, and I think part of it is the fact that they kind of shot their wad with Days of Future Past. Right. It, like I said, it was just so conclusive. You're um, definitely right with that. Okay. Like it's it was definitely it felt so conclusive to both both timelines of the franchise. Like yeah. it felt like such a conclusive thing. And yeah, yeah, I agree. Apocalypse should have been the second movie. Right. And yeah. the next franchise, not the third. Mm-hmm. Which or is not done at all. Or not done at all. Yeah. Not that it was not that I thought that it was terrible. I just thought that it was really kind of just dull. It it had the feeling of a of a sequ- of a the second entry in a franchise money grab kind of thing. Yeah. It kind of yeah. had that feel to it. Mm-hmm. So um so yeah, uh the, okay, Jean Grey, okay. How did you feel about Professor X and Apocalypse, you know, doing their mind thing and you know Xavier fights him in his mind? It it was just a little too I don't know. It was just too dreamy and like too Christopher Nolan-y. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but I think Christopher Nolan would have done a better job with that. Oh, I agree. But I, agree. I don't know. I it just didn't. It felt like a like it was a bit of a distraction from what was going on mm-hmm. in the real world, and it was just like, I mean, I understand that there are so many, there's so much to hold you back with that. Like, like uh, it, it's it's hard to represent something happening in someone's mind, mm-hmm. like a, a vision in someone's mind. That's hard to represent. That's hard to do. And so I, I would have just rather had them leave it out mm-hmm. than, than kind of fumble it like they did. I don't know. It, and it just had the weird, 
the weird line of like, oh, you're in my house now. And oh yeah, that was so. Yeah, it's like you should have made a bigger house. That, that made just, me cringe so just, much. I didn't. I didn't cringe at anything. Mm-hmm. Which maybe if I saw it in a different perspective, I would have. But it 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 felt campy and just not. It did. It didn't. It didn't work. And it. <sighs> I don't know. It's. I think that it's. I think that between like that line and with Xavier's weird weird comic relief about uh moira i i think that i think that the professor xavier we've known throughout the entire franchise both timelines he's this distinguished kind of leader person and we saw some of him being like a playboy in in first class which i thought that that was beautifully well done and really cool Mm -hmm. but like here it just felt like it felt like he should be transitioning more into that you know, and he did transition more into like the leadership role and the, and the the kind of guiding force of the X Men, mm-hmm. but it's just like you know I can't really see um, Patrick Stewart saying you're in my house now. <laughs> yeah, I can't either. Yeah, it's he's a, a classy, dignified gentleman. Mm-hmm. Not and, to say that James McAvoy isn't, but right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and seeing <laughs> so. I didn't have a problem with the actual like metaphysical kind of thing, like the mental showing them yeah. duking it out. Cause I've always thought like, okay, well what, I mean, you know, professor X can, you know, read minds, control minds, stuff like that. But he's, I mean, you know, if you're on a battlefield, I'm like, you know, he's kind of a, he's almost a pacifist. He, he doesn't, I don't really yeah. see him doing much in a combat thing to see him actually like fighting a villain was kind of cool yeah, to me. That's true. However, <laughs> Watching freaking Jean Grey stare at him while he's like laying there, like slipping into like death, basically saying like Jean, help or whatever. I'm like, all right, Jean, you know that you can't control your powers. Yeah. He's signaling to you to go in there. Like right. from the start, I was like, okay, yeah, Jean's gonna go in there. She's gonna go all crazy. She's gonna she's gonna defeat uh, Apocalypse for him in his mind. I'm, I'm, and then it cut back to her, and she just has this blank look on her face, like, uh. Do I go in? What do I do? What do you want me to do? <laughs> I was just like, come on, just get with it. Just hurry up. And part of that was just also, I was ready to get out of the theater because I right. was kind of bored. Um, well, and that, that kind of leads to the, the actual climax of, of the conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find it weird that like Jean Grey was, she should have been the linchpin of that, mm-hmm. uh, that conflict and been the ultimate weapon to, to defeat apocalypse and she right. was in the in the movie but she just like kind of walked out and just like exploded sort of and it's like she did her dark phoenix thing okay which, see i didn't realize that yeah, was a that's thing. right you you haven't revisited the franchise that much no like it's it's kind of funny to me because it's it's kind of like brian singer has a hard-on for this for the storyline because gene okay. gray from what i understand from the comics i mean it's it's i have a very passing understanding of it but basically if you remember in x2 she sacrifices herself and then she is basically this is when she's having trouble controlling her powers or she's she's seeing that she's becoming more powerful her arc in the comics is that she becomes this kind of all-powerful being i don't know about all-powerful but um i'm probably butchering this thousands of you know comic book fans are screaming at their headphones but um, yeah (laughs) but so like she has this ability where she becomes this dark phoenix phoenix and she's reborn into this just you know powerful thing and that's that was the big stumbling point for uh the last stand is that in x3 is that 
X2 ended with her dying and then hinting that she was going to come back as the Phoenix. And then, of course, then Brian Singer left X3 and then Brett Ratner was brought on at the last minute and he had to scramble to do a bunch of stuff. And he's not a very talented director anyway. No. So he had to put all this together and he had this monumental storyline to, to handle too. What I don't understand is Brian Singer, man, second movie of his, that he's done in an X-Men timeline or like he did the first two X-Men ended with the Dark Phoenix. Uh, he's done the second and third X-Men movie of this of this little like trilogy still Jean Grey and the Dark Phoenix. Like, let her be. Let her be Jean Grey. <laughs> yeah. And it just, I don't know. It just felt like, okay. And But it makes sense within the confines of the story or with the context of the story is that Apocalypse is this incredibly powerful mutant. Of course, an equally or like in uh, a radically powerful <laughs> mutant like Jean Grey unleashing her full potential will would destroy him and that's fine okay but yeah so i I don't know i was thinking it was strange that she didn't defeat him on a mental level as opposed Mm. to a physical one because you know she just like she just kind of explodes and i was like this is weird why isn't she just like going into his mind and just absolutely destroying him mentally and then that degrades his physical capabilities um so that kind of stuck out to me but i guess i didn't know that backstory okay so i guess that makes sense yeah and and that would have been cool to see yeah um yeah so, a couple things to wrap up. Um, one is the end scene with them in Cerebro that's been kind of refitted. I think it was in the Cerebro room. Kind of refitted as their, like, uh, whatever it is in the comics and, and the cartoon and everything. This, their training room. Their training room. Um, if I remember correctly, it was Mystique leading them there. Your yeah. X-Men. Yeah. Um, I just... I, <laughs> that was some clunky dialogue. It was clunky, and it's this monumental moment. She's brought together all these people. I mean, man, why did it have to be Mystique? I yeah. like. I feel like that would have had more. That would have made the rest of the movie make more sense if Cyclops's arc was to put them all together, and. Or, or like he became the Cyclops that he's supposed to be the kind of leader of the X Men, and he was the one giving that speech. Now, granted, he didn't have the development; he was still under, he still didn't have his powers under control and everything. But I feel like if they would have struck out, <laughs> no pun intended, struck out the Striker storyline, <laughs> and had more time to develop Apocalypse and to into kind of groom Cyclops's character into. Uh, uh, taking on that role of of leading the x-men that would have been more satisfying to me than what we got what we got was jennifer lawrence is a celebrity jennifer lawrence is very popular let's put her in this in this uh in this leadership role Mm -hmm. and people love wolverine let's throw in a wolverine cameo and then you know call it a day yeah yeah it just (laughs) it felt like such a such a missed opportunity and it it bothered me that all that bothered me i agree that was weird (laughs) Um. Yeah. Did you have any more thoughts on that, or should I mean I, I liked I liked the robots marching out because yeah, it, just, it yeah. just reminded me of the animated series, which is that's right. really my connection to X Men, not mm-hmm. the comics. So yeah, me too. That from a nostalgia standpoint, I like that. Sure, I can I can agree with that. The Sentinels. Yeah, the Sentinels. Um. Yeah. So my last thought uh, in the spoiler section is: Did you stay for the tag? Yes, I did. Okay. What'd you make of it? There's 
basically, what was it? They're at Weapon X. They get his DNA. They get Wolverine's DNA, and it says Essex Corp. And that means nothing at all to me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> I I, th- I I was thinking that part of the reason why they put the whole Striker uh, Weapon X plot into the story is because they want to keep Striker an active member of the franchise. Um, I. I think it might, if it's done properly, it could be cool to see just a striker movie oh, where he does his thing and we see it from a total antagonistic viewpoint mm-hmm. or perspective. That could be kind of cool, but I don't know if the studio has the balls to do that. I don't know if they could get the right person to do it. It'd be tricky. Um, yeah. but, but I mean, that, that was a pretty, that was a pretty, uh, substantial tag in that respect that mm-hmm. it's all about weapon x right um that's that's kind of cool in my book but i i just have no no ref- i literally know could not load no less about <laughs> essex corp i have no idea what that is i know next to nothing as well okay. um from what i've heard through just discussions and stuff online and, and podcasts and everything is that from what i understand essex corp is the oh i don't remember the name uh he it's the place where a certain villain comes from um Okay. I don't remember what the villain's name is, um, but apparently it's a pretty big villain in for at least for Wolverine. Okay. And apparently Essex Corp and that villain are responsible for creating a clone of Wolverine in some iteration of the of the comics. Huh. Um in that it's a, a lady clone, apparently. Interesting. So I don't know. We'll I don't know. Maybe it's setting up the new Wolverine movie that's coming out. That's going to be his Hugh Jackman's last Wolverine, right? Last outing as Wolverine. So I don't know, but it did nothing for me because that whole plot line just felt completely tacked in and yeah. disconnected for me. So right, right. Okay, so yeah, that does it for our review of X Men Apocalypse. Yep. Yay. <laughs> um. Uh, we're running a little long this week and, uh, I have to sleep for my actual real job. So <laughs> I'll, uh, we'll just briefly run through potpourri. Yeah. Um, I'll go first cause I don't have much to say about this cause I've only watched a couple episodes, but I, before you came over tiny, I watched a couple episodes of Veep. Okay. Um, the HBO series with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's been running for like four or five seasons. Mm-hmm. I think it run, won some Emmys this year. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a comedy. And from what I can tell from the first two episodes is it's, it's worth the acclaim. It's, it's very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that first episode is really strong. It's, yeah. it's really good. And, uh, I liken it to, it's like a single cam workplace sitcom version of the West Wing only if it dealt with, uh, you know, people in government that don't really have much, not much going on, but much, it's not as important as yeah. the stuff of the West Wing. And the people yeah. are caricatures, not characters. Exactly. Yeah. And it's got Tony Hale. It's got Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's got, um, oh, I can't remember her name. Anna Shlumsky. Anna Shlumsky. She's yeah. great in it. She's very good. Yeah. Um, how much have you seen of it? Have I you... watched like half the first season okay. and I, I just dropped it because I had other stuff going right. on. But Did you ever bring it up on the podcast? Uh, Potentially. Okay. Because like I did a search podcast. and I couldn't find... I, it's not in the titles of any of the episodes. So. Okay. It could have been early, like first 20 episodes. Oh, wow. Early, yeah. Good. I don't nice. know. Cool. Yeah, I like it, and uh, I'll watch more of it and probably report back in a future episode. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, Tiny, what do you got for poopery? Well, uh, I'm going to keep it in the Marvel Universe. Is that right? Uh, yeah, Mar- Marvel 
let's see. I couldn't even. That's that's bad. Yeah, 20th Century Fox owns X Men, and I want to say 20th Century Fox also owns Fantastic Four. Gotcha. Which spoiling what you're going to talk about? Yes, I. That's bad. I mean, that goes to show you right there how how disrespected the franchise is. Um, <laughs> I couldn't even remember if it was DC or Marvel. Fantastic Four. <laughs> I watched uh, the most recent uh, version of it. Oh. Uh, Josh Josh Trank. Josh Trank, yeah. Josh Trank's iteration of it. Um, it's it is bad. It is a bad movie. Um, I uh, I didn't like it. I did not like <laughs> it. But it wasn't quite as astoundingly awful as I had heard. Oh, interesting. Um, it it really it just reeked of overproduction. Mm-hmm. It just reeked of it. Just in every single part. Um, the first like ten minutes, the opening sequence, um, when some of the characters are younger. That was actually I kind of I was along for the ride. That I was like, all right, this isn't, okay. this isn't bad. I'm 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 here. Let's let's do this. But <laughs> the the worst thing I can say for it is the entire movie felt like they were just sprinting through every single scene. Yeah, and I mean it was just like there was zero attempt for, at chemistry amongst mm-hmm. these characters. I mean, an actor like um, Michael B. Jordan and. Um, the the white kid Reed Richards, Miles uh, uh, Teller, Miles Teller, yeah. those two should be bouncing off of each mm-hmm. other like something bouncing. And Kate Mara too. Kate Mara, yeah, she's phenomenal. Yes, I mean they're just they're so Miles Teller is so hilarious and mm-hmm. quick and witty, and Michael B. Jordan demonstrated his ability to do that as well in some mm-hmm. of the other roles he's been in. Those two should be should be hilarious with each other, and right. they, they, we should be in love with those characters. But they're barely characters right. with what we got out of that movie. It's it was just astoundingly rushed. Nothing nothing was developed. Not the characters, not the story, not the sets, not the music. Everything was just so <laughs> bare bones. It, mm. it it was just like an incomplete film. I I was just really shocked at how incomplete it was. That that's the worst thing I can say. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't. Yeah. I don't know that the actors had anything to work with. Um, even the best actor in the world could not have improved that movie. Um, it's 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 just really a shame. I it makes me want to go back and like look at interviews with Josh Trank about because I know he kind of spoke out about how like he's like I yeah. wanted to make a good movie but he was just hamstrung by all these different things. The night before the movie premiered, right? He tweeted about how. Um, how it wasn't the movie that he wanted to make, and that mm-hmm. he he was he was uh, he he was forced into making a movie that he didn't want to make. Right, right. And it's just like when you have a director that's doing that on social media before opening weekend, mm-hmm. it's just oh. I mean, the the movie industry is always a balance between art and business, mm-hmm. and in this case, business ran the whole freaking show. You can yeah. tell there's just so little of the movie was creative in mm-hmm. its in its origin. It was. It, it felt it felt like um like the studio was like yeah, let's let's make another Fantastic Four movie right let's sell some toys or something mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it was just it was so bad I hope it doesn't ruin the the careers of those involved including Josh Trank because mm-hmm. um, I I liked some of his uh, he, he did uh um well I can't think of the movie Chronicle Chronicle thank yeah. you Chronicle I, that was a really cool movie mm-hmm. and I think he can do great things yeah. uh, well and, he was a, he was originally attached to do um, one of the Star Wars one of the Star Wars movies. right yeah yeah I, th- I think he could do it I don't know if I, I I've lost a little bit of faith in mm-hmm. him but um, 
I don't know. And, and I think we've we've lauded a lot of praise on the cast. Yeah. Um in in other episodes for their other work. So I think they'll all be fine, but mm-hmm. um it's just unfortunate. I I I I don't know hardly anything about Fantastic 4, the the comics or anything mm-hmm. or the the origin, but uh I'd like to see somebody make a damn good movie about it because right. no one's done it yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's unfortunate. I think his original or one of his goals in making the movie was that he wanted to make some aspects of it especially with like reed richards um kind of a body horror movie like discovering the powers one of the worst things like in the entire movie if any movie that i saw that year or years since it was last year right yeah yeah it was last year it It was long ago so anyway uh one of the worst moments that i've seen in a movie is the moment where they get their powers and then it says one year later. Yeah, it was really like, lazy. Oh my god, guys. Yeah. And then just the entire the entire uh climax of the movie when like when they put together the plan to take down Doom and I felt like Reed Richards was literally about to say, Okay guys, let's join together as a team yeah. and let's take him down. It was uh, just it was, so clunky and so awkward. This is a ju- juvenile dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um I will the only th- one of the few things I actually liked mm-hmm. was actually the scene after what you're talking about okay. where it shows them basically like they're kinda like prisoners mm-hmm. uh in this like facility and they're being they're like lab rats mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty eerie and okay. like a little a little scary they're like strapped down to tables and mm-hmm. stuff like that that's yeah oh yeah i thought it was kind of scary like a little eerie just like a very it, it made me a little uneasy um mm-hmm. but that only lasted for like two minutes <laughs> yeah, yeah and then everything just started falling back off again just terribleness so yep Ugh. it's unfortunate absolute terrible movie i yeah i hated it i'd probably give it a 2.5 yeah out of 10 I would, I would say maybe two yeah out of 10 um so. yeah maybe 2.5 also mm-hmm. um but if you want to see michael b jordan and miles teller doing their cool quippy bantering back and forth and mm-hmm. being charisma on screen you can't go worse than that awkward moment just saying yeah oh i like that movie not me too yeah me too yeah that's what i'm that's Unashamed. what I'm, that's what i was that's what i was referencing oh were you yeah okay because nice. they, they were great together in that. yeah oh yeah. yeah yep yep so yeah fantastic four oof not tastic four nope yeah Ugh. Ugh. maybe they'll get it right on the fourth movie <laughs> yeah i i really hope that they do because from my understanding fantastic four is just an iconic yeah iconic team and uh, iconic characters and i mean it would be i don't know how well they would fit in the marvel cinematic universe but i'm sure that they would find a way if they could get the rights back i right. think that, that would be really interesting i think ben ben grimm is a fascinating character mm-hmm. from what i've seen but no one's realized his fullest potential yet. right yeah. there was a great um there was a there was a great like meme online that was a picture from uh not really spoilers for civil war or anything but um there was a picture from the scene in civil war during the airport scene where uh um uh, uh what's his name cap and spidey are talking and like spider cap says hey you got heart kid where are you from and then he's like queens and he's like brooklyn mm-hmm. uh the meme was replaced with you got heart kid where are you from and then uh <laughs> um uh, uh uh spidey says sony and then uh cap played by chris evans says 
20th Century Fox <laughs> or Fox or something. Yeah. I was like, that's that's clever. That's I like awesome. That. So, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I think that about does it for this week's episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Yep. And uh, we, I want to thank everyone for listening. And also, I did, I completely spaced that I told uh, listeners last week, I'm awful. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> I said that we would have some kind of contest for iTunes reviews. That's still going to happen. I think when I get paid, I'll go, like, pick up a DVD or something. Or I'll, I'll, I'll do, like, a gift card situation. So. Yeah. Good call. Uh, yeah. So if you basically, I don't know what the rules are for this, but if you, how about this? Okay. Here you go. Um Go ahead, if you haven't already, leave us a review on iTunes. When you do, uh, message us on Facebook um, and like the Facebook page, and uh, we'll we'll send you like a $10 gift card. It, well, I won't say that. <laughs> we'll send one of those people a $10 gift card chosen randomly. We'll put the end of it at like this month. Let's say June. Okay. We have between June 1st and June 30th. Uh, like the page on Facebook. Uh, write a review on iTunes. Let us know via via message on Facebook. You'll be entered into the drawing. Ten ten dollar gift card to Amazon will be sent your way potentially through the pool of uh, submissions. So get on that. You have until the thirtieth, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. All right. So we'll see you guys next week. What are we doing next week? What are we doing next week? I have no idea. Is it a topic episode? I don't know. Because we had plans because Mike was going to be back. Oh, yeah. We were, we were going to do, do the three-year anniversary three year one thing, early. Yeah. Okay. Well, if Mike is back next week, we'll do a special three-year anniversary podcast episode. If he's not, we might review a movie. Something, um, yeah. Either Popstar or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. I don't know. Something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at ObsessiveViewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, ObsessiveBookNerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.